Uh, it's, this has been a, a great time with you guys. I really do uh, just appreciate the, the opportunity to do this for you guys. And uh, it's been very challenging for myself. And every time I go through this material, I'm just, I just love it because what, what it does is it re- really reveals where my heart is. Because when we, when we think about the area of finance, so, it's so tied to, to where our heart is, where we put God in, in position, whether it's a self-centered life or it's an, a life focused on God and, and what he desires for us for reaching the lost of this world. And so it's just, it's so revealing to me. And I just, I hope and I pray that it's also really revealing and challenging to you guys to really look at this and, and, and see if, if there's some areas of your life that God is asking you to change. And I think if you're, if you're like me, everyone in this room probably has some areas where God's really been challenging you and teaching you and some areas where we have some action items going forward. And so with that, what I was talking with Kevin yesterday, and I thought it would be great, and I hope you guys would, would enjoy this, is uh, for you guys and anyone else who's come to the, to the class or anyone who wants to listen to the, uh, the podcast online, that on September 19th, Friday night, okay, it's in about two months, my wife and I are going to host just a potluck dinner at our house and what we want it to be is just a time to get together and share what God's done from now until that time when we get together. So for these two months, how God is working in our lives in this area, what areas we've maybe made some changes, where he's uh, come through in these difficult times, and how our, how our giving is, how our debt payoff is, and those sorts of things. And so we want to give that invitation to you guys, and we would love to to just have a meal together and share those, those successes, those failures, those, those areas that God's really challenging us and working with us. So September 19th, uh, put it down, but we'll also get that out in an email. We're going to send out this, all the material that you guys have received weekly. We're going to put that in one PDF and shoot it out to you. And uh, we can also, there's going to be a budget that I'm going to go through tonight. Kevin. Yeah. We're going to do a budget tonight. We're going to kind of walk through a sample budget. I can send that out in Excel as well. That way you guys kind of have a template to get started. And uh, so it's not so daunting to try to put, you know, Excel formulas together and format things. And uh, So, you know, going back to kind of what we've been talking about, we've been talking about the first week where we, where we put God number one in our lives and where the call to follow Jesus is a call to abandon everything this world has to offer and follow him. And so when we look at that, the area of finance includes that. Includes that, it's under that umbrella of God number one in our lives. But so often our focus is on ourselves as number one. And I'm spending money the way I want to. I'm driving the car that I want to drive. I'm going on the vacation that I want to. I'm going to live in the house that I want to. I, 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 very self-centered, very self-focused. But what God's calling us to is as we steward 100%, of the resources that he's entrusted us is that we would look to him to say, God, what do you want me to drive? What do you want me to, to live in? What do you want me to go on vacation? At what location? And those sorts of things. And so when we submit all of that to God, we get a different perspective. Instead of me, 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 consume, 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 it's now God, 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 you're number one, you're in charge, you make the decisions, I'm stewarding 100% of your finances. And so that's kind of... The, uh, the baseline for how we started week one. Week two, we talked about giving, contentment, ownership. God owns everything. 
God's desire is that we are content with where we're at. In Philippians 4, Paul says that he learned how to be content. He wasn't born content. I'm sure that I have an almost two-year-old. I can tell you we are not born content. He is not content most of the time. And so it's a, it's a thing that we have to learn. And he says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's referring to being content. So I can be content through, I can learn to be content through Christ who strengthens me. That's what he's talking about. And it's with that contentment that we then learn how to live within our harvest, live within the finances that God's given us, live within the paycheck that he's provided for us, as opposed to living above and beyond. So often we want to live above and beyond. We want that higher standard of living that we currently have, and the world makes it so easy to obtain that through debt, through credit cards, car loans, student loans. There's any number of ways that the world provides an opportunity for us to live outside of the harvest that God's given us and entrusted us so that we can obtain this standard of living or these expenses that are are above and beyond what God desires for us to have. Now, we talked about last week, we talked about debt in and of itself is not sin, but it can be. It can be sin when we put debt in a place where we are no longer able to serve God as master, but we are serving sin as master. Matthew 6, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you can't serve two masters, for either you will hate the one or love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. So we learn that you can't serve both God and money. And when we take on this debt that is bondage, debt is bondage, that we can't serve God because we're too busy serving the debt. We're, we're serving the bondage. We talked about how someone might want to go to a Christian Bible college and take on $40,000 a year of student loan debt, $160,000 over four years, and if God's calling them to be a missionary in a third world country, how are they going to do that? How are they going to go to the mission field with $160,000 of student loan debt? That's bondage. We see that. And so there's ways that we can obtain Christian educations and not take on that amount of debt. There's certain colleges that provide for a lower cost, or maybe there's a way that we can work and pay for those colleges uh, as we go so that we're not taking on this exorbitant amount of debt that we can't repay. Because we learn in, in, in Scripture that it says, the wicked borrow and do not repay. So God's desire for us is that we would repay what we borrow. So when we make that agreement with that bank or that credit card or that car company that says, I will repay X number of dollars over X period of time, and I sign my name to that, God's desire is that I, with, I live up to that agreement and I repay. It says that I'm wicked if I don't. And that's a serious thing. And I know that that's a very, uh, very relevant topic to many people with with foreclosures, short sales, bankruptcies, very, very prevalent in our economy right now. There's no doubt that that is a hot topic, and it's a very real thing in our lives. And so what we have to go back to is living within our harvest, being content with what God's provided for us so that we live within within that budget, so that we're not living outside of our means, so that we're always shooting for that greater standard of living, and then we get into that trap where we can't repay. Or we get in so much debt that we have to take on that second job and we can't be a part of the body of Christ or can't be 
committed or serving in the church. We can't be doing the things that God's designed us to and wants us to because we're so busy serving that debt to repay. And so what my challenge to you guys is, is that no doubt there's people in this room that are struggling with credit card debt, student loans, mortgages, whatever the case may be. Whatever has happened in the past, don't live in regret. Learn from that, but move forward. Christ died so that we wouldn't live with that bondage of sin. We don't have that weight of sin. Put that behind you and just look forward and say, God, what can you do to get me out of this? I want to be obedient to that. I want to do my part in getting out of this debt, getting out of this bondage so that I can live debt-free. See, the reason that, that I believe the Bible teaches us to live free from this bondage is not so that, so that it's just an easier life. I believe that God's designed it so that we are free to serve him in the capacity that he's called us to. So that when God calls us to pick up our house or pick up our home and move to another location, we are free to do that. If he calls one of you to quit your secular job and go on staff at Anthem, you can do it. If he calls you out of this place to the mission field, you can do it. But so often, I've, I've counseled couples, their desire is they say, I feel the Lord calling me to this, but because of this bondage, I can't do it. I can't go. And that's heartbreaking because they, they see God's will for their life, but they can't go after it because of this other bondage that they have, this other master that they're serving. So when we look at debt and we look at the desire to be debt-free, it really is so that we are free to follow God's will for our life 100%, without anything else telling us what to do. No world, no bank, nothing else. Just, God, where do you want me? So that's the desire to be debt-free. And I know that that can be really a big challenge. Some of you are saying, man, I'm just making it month to month. How on earth could I get out of this credit card debt or this student loan or this whatever, whatever it is? And so what I want to talk to you tonight about is practically how to become debt-free. What do you do? You're saying, Randy, I've got debt. What do you want me to do to get out of it? And so most people would tell you, take the highest interest rate debt that you have and start putting as much money as you can on that debt. And that's not a bad answer. I'm a math guy, so when I think of logically, that makes sense to me. Put the most money on the highest interest debt, because remember last week we learned that the higher the interest, the more you pay on a monthly basis. And so that makes sense. However, what we often realize is that our behavior, we don't always function in a pure, logical way. We don't always function completely logical as humans. And so what statistics will show you is that a more effective way to become debt-free is to line up your debts smallest total amount to biggest. So that $500 medical bill goes first. That $2,000 or that $2, student loan debt that's remaining goes second. That $5,000 credit card goes third. And what you do is you make minimum payments on every debt that you have, and then you take any amount of excess that you have, and you put it all on that smallest amount, that $500 medical bill that I just said. And what happens is that $500 medical bill gets paid off 
pretty quickly. It's the smallest one. So maybe one, two, three months, that medical bill is paid off. Then you take all that money you were paying on the, the medical bill, plus the minimum payment you were making on that second debt, and you put all of that on that second debt, that $2,000 debt. And after a few months, that one's paid off. And what you find is that you gain this sense of, of, of momentum, success. You've got fewer debts listed on that sheet. You've crossed them off. If any of you have a to-do list, the feeling of crossing something off that to-do list, even if it's something very small, go get the mail, I've crossed it off. I've done something today. There's that sense of success, and that sense is going to keep propel you into the next debt so that you're going to continue to be able to pay those debts off. If you start with that massive one, you might go six months paying big payments on that, but because it's just gone from this big to this big, you might stop and just completely abandon the plan. But if you can knock out two or three small debts in the first six months, you're going to say, I can do this. I've actually paid off two or three of these debts. I don't get that bill in the mail anymore. I don't get that call from the creditor saying, you need to pay this off. So, there, so when we look at how to pay off debt, we're going to talk about getting on a budget. Get on a written budget. Live within your harvest. Live on less than you make. Remember that. Live on less than you make. We can't give freely to God if we're living on more than we make. If we're spending more than, that com- more than comes in, how can we be free to give to God? We can't. So we have to live on less than we make. Live on less than you make. So we, we talk about paying off the debts in the smallest balance first, okay? Does anyone have any questions on that? Minimum payments on everything. Every bit of excess you can find on that, minim- that first smallest total debt. And once that's paid off, you move to the next. Then you move to the next, you move to the next. And what you might find is that last debt, maybe it's your home mortgage, maybe it's a large student loan. That's a, that's a big chunk to tackle, but you've wiped out everything else. You've wiped out your credit cards. You've wiped out that car loan. You've wiped out that medical bill, that family loan that you might have. You've wiped all those out. There, there's two typical strategies. Highest interest rate first or lowest balance? What, what I've seen and what other people recommend is, is a little unconventional, but it's lowest balance because the reason I say is sometimes getting out of debt is a long-term plan. It can be years. It can be a three-year plan. Uh, this one couple that my wife and I counseled a few years ago, I mentioned them the first week. They had about $30,000 of debt, credit cards, student loans, medical, and car loans. That's typically what, what you see. And I put them on a plan to pay off the lowest balance first, and we got a call a couple months later, oh my gosh, we've paid off two of our eight debts. They had that sense of success. They had that sense of we can do this. And so that propelled them for three years to pay off the debt, two and a half years to become debt-free. Now, if they would have started with that $15,000 car loan, they might have gotten six months in and said, ah, this is just too hard. You know, Randy's plan, whatever this is, it's just not going to work. And so that's why I say there's a, a real 
sense of momentum that happens and success in, in shrinking those numbers of debts gives you that ability to want to continue on. But yeah, it's, it's more my recommendation, not necessarily biblical. There are exceptions, I'll say. If you have a really high rate interest, like credit card, that's pretty close to another one, I would say pay that one off first. You know, you can kind of tweak that schedule a little bit. But the idea is to gain that momentum so that you'll propel through to the very end. There's no point of, of, of recommending a plan that's going to get you six months into a three-year plan to pay off debt because what it'll leave you is with a lot of debt. But if you can develop a plan that'll get you to the end, that's really the, the desire. That's a, great, that's a great question. I was going to touch on that tonight. Uh, I'll touch on it now since you brought it up. So, so there's, there's this competing goal of I want to be generous, but I also want to pay off debt. Okay. Now, what my personal, this is coming from me personally, this is my recommendation is be faithful with a tithe of 10% to the church regardless of your situation. And the reason I say that is I believe that, that God, the, the principle for us today is that he desires for us to be faithful with that 10% as an act of obedience, but as, also as an act of trust that, God, I'm giving this to you knowing that my situation is a little fuzzy right now. But I'm giving this to you because I know that this is what you desire for me, and, I'm, and I want to be faithful in that. And then you take, every, I would recommend at that point is if you have, if you have high interest credit cards, consumer type debt, credit cards, car payments, TV, Best Buy card, medical bill, these things that aren't tied to an appreciating asset like a house, I would say you, you tackle those and get debt free. Okay? Now, I th- there, there, some people will say, Give more along the way, and I'm not disagreeing with that. Me personally, I feel like there's such a desire that God has for us to be debt free and also to repay what we owe. See, repayment to that bank is obedience. God says in His Word that the wicked borrow and do not repay, so His desire is that we repay. So we're being obedient to God when we're repaying that debt. And once we've repaid those types of debt, now we can enter into that blessing of being generous with above and beyond the tithe, okay? And there's other ways to be generous if you're in that situation. Uh, and this is for all of us. We can, be, we can and should be generous with our time, with our talents, with our spiritual gifts. Maybe someone in here is a, is a great photographer and you, maybe you're in that position where you're giving a lot of the extra money you have to pay off debt, but you want to be, you want to bless somebody, you want to be giving, go do an engagement shoot for a, for a couple. Or someone who had a baby, go shoot their baby or something. You know, Not shoot their baby, <laughs> take pictures of their baby. What, maybe you're a mechanic and you can offer to work on somebody's car for them who's in need. Maybe you like to do yard work, you can help someone around the house. Maybe you can clean someone's house. So on top of being generous with our, with our finances, we also should be generous with our time. And our spiritual gifts, how are we serving within the church? How are we serving to expand the body of Christ so that people hear the gospel? Another shameless plug from Matt on set up and tear down, you know? We need help. So maybe that's something that you can show up once a month to in the morning or in the afternoon and help. So, 
There's other ways. But again, and, and if you guys want to jump in on get paying off the debt. Now, I'm not talking at this point about like a mortgage. That's a very long-term plan to pay off. But I'm talking like that, that $10,000 of credit card debt, that's at 25%. I would say pay that off as soon as possible because it's costing so much money and interest. And so that's where being faithful with the tithe comes in and, uh, and desiring so much to be able to give more that once you're out of that credit card debt, out of that bondage, the freedom you'll have to be able to give more. Not only can you give the money you were paying, but you can also give the interest that the bank was charging you. I mean, we talked about how $10,000 at 25% interest costs you 2500 bucks a month in interest. So you could make a $200 a month payment on that credit card and not make any dent in what you owe. You're just giving money to the bank. You're just giving it to them. It's not reducing how much you owe. And so that's the bondage of debt. And that's where when you have those high-interest consumer-type debts, you got to get out of them as quickly as possible. You really do. And it is obedient to repay. And so God does desire us that we do repay. At the same time, finding ways to be generous with time, with talents, with other resources we might have. Yeah. But I, I do like your point about... Not just saying, God, I'll start giving and being generous to you once I'm debt-free. Because we could take that to the extreme, right? God, once my house is paid off. God, once I pay for the second con- you know, house in Mammoth. God, once I save fully for retirement, then I'll start being generous. At some point, our heart gets so hardened that we might not ever be generous. So faithful with what he has now, also paying off the debt. So it's kind of a combination of the two. Yeah, And I would say on that, if, if you're struggling with that... That's a great thing to struggle with. Pay off debt or give, give money. Those are great things. The real part is when the heart is hardened towards, oh, forget that, I'm just going to keep spending on myself. I'm going to go take on this new payment. I'm going to keep spending, 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 live outside of my means. That's where the heart's really hardened. If you're debating on give or pay off debt, that's a great place to be. And I would say seek godly counsel. Talk to, your, talk to the pastors here. Talk to myself. Talk to Greg. Talk to Tim, guys who really kind of know this stuff. And I would say... Let them kind of help and guide you in your unique situation on what's best. Yeah. One more question out there. Is it close to like a, like a spending or a consumer type of I think there is a, a, a difference in that. I think that person's heart is in a different place than the person who just keeps consuming, consuming, consuming. And so I think they're in a better place to be able to respond and maybe be open to the body of Christ helping them in that, uh, that time and uh, really going to God and saying, God, I don't know how you're going to come through, but, but I, I know you will, and I, it's going to be a great testimony when you do. Um, with that, though, I, debt is still bondage, and God's desire is that we wouldn't have the credit card debt so that we can be totally free to... Because even in that, that situation, that person, that debt is bondage to them, right? That, that having to live paycheck to paycheck, month to month, is probably keeping them from living and doing certain things that God's calling them to do because of that bondage, that debt that they carry. So getting debt-free is only going to make living month to month that much easier. And I believe that sometimes the way God provides for us to be able to make it is to get to be out of debt. Because not only are we repaying that debt, but we're also paying that interest premium on top of that. So... But again, in that situation, again, go to, go to a pastor, come to me, Greg, someone, let, let's talk about that situation and let's, let's really 
look at your unique set of facts. I think for all of this, it's, it's really a lot of it is facts and circumstances. Remember last week we talked about debt in and of itself is not sin. Greg made a great point that some debt he would say is sin. He would say if you can't afford that $60,000 ski boat and you go buy it with debt, Greg says that's sin. I agree with you. I, I do. That, at that point, I believe you're living outside of your harvest. You're living outside of God's design. You're taking on this debt. Is that interest that you're repaying, are you stewarding God's money the way he desires you to? Is committing yourself over the next 10 years to repay this big debt and all this interest, is that really God's design? And so I think if you look at those things, you'll come to that same conclusion. Buying a house, I think that's different. I really do. I have a home mortgage. And I look at it as, one, this, this asset should go up in value long term. Two, you got to pay rents. you got to pay rent or pay mortgage. So if you pay the mortgage, you're at least getting, you're getting some tax benefits on that. So it's, your net cost is lower. The house that my wife and I live in, it would cost us more to rent it than it does to make the mortgage and interest and taxes and uh, insurance on it. So... There is that side of it where long-term, it's, it's, it's rent control for 30 years. That's how I look at it. But again, if you're in a position to repay that debt, if you're putting enough down to where you're not going to get upside down quickly, if you're, you're in a position financially where you can take that debt on, because remember, the wicked borrow and do not repay. So his design is that we do repay that debt. So we've got to be careful not to put ourselves in that position and some things I know are outside of our control, and no, you know, not many people were predicting the huge dump in the market, and of course, you know, those circumstances come up. Uh, so all the more reason to really be diligent about these decisions before we just jump into them. So any other questions on that? Okay, so I want to I move into this, this budgeting. It's, it's the first part of uh, day four, practical application. You'll see this budget. And what I typically recommend people do is, is really break up a budget into different parts. Because if you try to look at what's my total income versus my total expense, it's going to be very difficult to kind of conceptualize where you're at, where you can make cuts, where you're spending too much, where you're not, you know, maybe you're, you're not, uh, you're not quite, you don't quite know where you're at. And so what I... And then there's also the fact that some expenses come up maybe once a year. Our car registration, right, that comes in the mail once a year. Sometimes our car insurance is once every six months. How do we account for that? You can't get to month six and this big car insurance bill comes in and your, your budget's doing all kinds of crazy things. Or you go on vacation once a year. How is that going to fit into your budget? So what I start with is income. Now, there's typically two ways to earn income. You either earn it in a consistent way, which is salary-based, or you earn it in some kind of more inconsistent way, which can be hourly, it can be commission-based. If you own your own business, that can be very variable. Okay, so it's going to be a little different if you're commission-based, hourly, own a business, where it's a little more peaks and valleys versus salary, where it's very steady. And so what I would recommend is to try to level it out for a 12-month period. Okay, I get paid every... Every first and 15th of the month. I'm salaried, so I get paid a consistent amount. So I know exactly how much money comes in every month. It's the same. Every paycheck's the same. Even if I'm on vacation, it's the same. Okay? But for some people, if you're hourly and you go on vacation, you might not get paid. Or if you own a business and things kind of do this, 
you got to somehow come up with a way to level it out for a 12-month period. So you kind of know this is how much is coming in on an average monthly basis. Okay? If you get paid every two weeks, that means you'll get paid 26 times a year. That means two months of the year you'll get three paychecks instead of two. So what I would recommend is live on two paychecks a month and let two paychecks a year be a bonus that helps you. Okay, So if you can live on two paychecks a month, twice a year you're going to get a third paycheck that month. That's going to be a nice bonus which you can be generous with. You can pay off debt. You can put that in savings. You can help do a number of things. Okay, So if you're paid every two weeks, think about that way of doing it. If you're paid on a commission basis and it's a little more variable, Try to average out what it's going to be on a 12-month period and try to use that as your starting point for income. What you'll find is income is the easiest one to figure out. It's the expenses that are the hardest. You know, we might spend money 100 different ways in a month. Well, I only have one job. I don't have 100 different jobs paying me. Okay? So that's income. That's number one. We start with income. Number two are or what I have here are consistent expenses. Okay, these are the ones that are very, very consistent month to month. Okay, your, and I have number one here is giving, tithes and offering. Okay, I have it as number one because we, we learned two, or three weeks ago, week two, that we should give of our first fruits. Okay, now the concept of the first fruit is it's two things. One, it's first to God. So when we bring in the harvest, if we were farmers, and we brought in the harvest of, say, avocados, the first group of that is, is what we give to God. Now, in, back when the Bible was written, the first fruit concept, it was very much farming-based. That's why you get the concept first fruits. There's a lot of farming in Israel. And it's with olive oil, the first bit of olive oil is the best it's the best. It's the most pure. It's the best tasting. And so that was the concept of the first. We give to God the first, the best. Not second best, not what's left over, not the little scraps at the end. We give God first. So when I have under expenses, number one, giving, that's because God desires that we give to him first with our best, with our first fruits. After that, we have rent or mortgage taxes, insurance. Those should be consistent every month. Utilities, Gym membership, cell phone, private school for your kids, maybe some others might be monthly car insurance, savings, contributions to retirement like a 401k. Those are all very consistent expenses. Now, I'm not laying out these things here to say that you should all have these expenses. That's not my idea. But I'm trying to put everything out there kind of on the table just to give you guys some ideas of what these might be. Okay? Let's jump down to C to regular expenses. We'll come back up in a minute. Regular expenses are those, those expenses that have small variances month to month. Gasoline for your cars, groceries, eating out, coffee. Some of you, you might go to Starbucks every day, so that's consistent. Three fifty a day. Okay? But for most people, that kind of thing, it's pretty inconsistent. One month it might be twenty bucks, one month it might be forty bucks. So you put that in some a second category of expenses because there's going to be some of this as the months go by. Entertainment. Clothes, buying new clothes, you know, getting your hair styled, that's a pretty 
for me, low cost, okay? My wife, you know, she gets her hair cut every, I don't know. It's been a while. Actually, she just got it done for like the first time in like six months. But one thing she did, which was great, is she grew her hair out, her color, so now she doesn't have to get her hair dyed every, was it six, eight weeks? Is that, is that about right, women? So she's, or my mom, every two weeks, <laughs> the gray starts showing through. She knows, she knows. It's not a surprise. So, but those are some things, like, and we're going to get to uh, in a minute, I've got a list of ways to save money, but that's a great way. Women, if you have a great hair color, consider growing it out. It might save you 100 bucks every six weeks getting it colored, you know? That's a, you think about that, that's about, what, eight, 900 bucks a year? That's a lot of money to have your hair colored, okay? So if you have a great natural hair color, you might consider growing that out. Um, or you can just, guys, you can just kind of have my, my style here, or, or my dad's style. We, we share the same style. Um, and then there's irregular expenses. Those expenses that are very, you know, they're just different, okay? A medical bill might come up one time a year, or, or a big medical bill might come up one time a year, or you might have a, like a large purchase, or a pet that you might have need, needs to have surgery or something. These kinds of irregular, they pop up, they're, all, they're normally unexpected, your transmission goes out in your car, okay? So these are another category of ex- expenses, okay? Now, let's pop back up to monthly allocations, okay? And you can kind of flip to the next page too, because I have uh, a sample budget here, which has very much some of the same things, uh, and they're laid out in these kinds of different categories. Okay, I've kind of have them some different names, whatever you like. But the idea is the same. Now, go to the middle here under allocations. Now, remember we talked about saving to pay cash for a car? This is that allocation concept. So here's an example that I love to give. How many of you have ever had to buy tires for your car? Okay. How many of you were surprised at how much it cost to buy tires for your car? You're like, you know... 500 bucks for tires, you know, or you drive a truck, 700 bucks for tires, or you have like run flats, $1,000 for tires. Like that's crazy, you know? And so what you do is, let's say tires cost you $480 when you go and buy them, okay? And you, you need tires every four years, about, okay? Let's just assume. That's 10 bucks a month. Well, 10 bucks a month doesn't seem like that much money. So if you take $10 a month out of your, out of your, your, out of your budget and put it in an online savings account like ingdirect.com, okay? I don't, I'm not employed by ING. I don't, I'm just not plugging them. I just use them and I like them because you set up automatic withdrawals and you can set up any number of accounts, any number of categories so you can have one car tires, okay? And we have, say we have two vehicles. So we're going to put 20 bucks a month into that account and what that does is in four years when I need tires, I go, I buy my tires, I transfer the money over, and I'm done. Now, when I need tires for my car, I'm not stressed out. Oh, how am I going to pay for this? I'll use the credit card. I'll pay it off later. Instead, $10 a month, you can pay for tires for your car. Okay? Pretty simple concept. ING Direct is very easy. You set it up, set up an account, maybe 10 minutes. You set up these different little categories and automatic savings plans, maybe five minutes, 15 minutes total, and you've got car tire category, $10 a month, automatically withdrawn from your checking account into this account, okay? Other things you might do this for, vacation, right? Instead of just coming to the time where you're going to take vacation and being surprised by you don't have money to do it, 
save some money. Maybe it's 50 bucks a month. Maybe it's $100 a month. Whatever it is, save that money monthly. And then when it's time to take that vacation, you have the cash to do it. So you're not resorting to that debt. So that you're not saying, I'm, God, I'm not going to give this month because I've got this expense. I wasn't expecting the tires to need to be paid this month. I'll give next month. Well, if you do the $10 a month, that's covered. Okay? Future car, a few hundred dollars a month, save that. And in a few years, you have money to pay cash for a car. Uh, other things, future computer, right? You need a computer every... We're on like year four on our laptop, which is like great, right? That's like unheard of. Thanks to Tim. He actually fixed it uh, yesterday, the day before. Uh, so that, yeah, <laughs> he's, he's, uh, he's pretty cheap. Buy him dinner and he's, he's happy. Uh, but that's something. Maybe you save $10 a month and in four years you have 500 bucks. If you need to buy a laptop, it's covered, okay? So it's getting us out of this habit of being surprised by these things that we know are going to come up. Start save a little bit of money each month, and then when that comes, you can pay for it, okay? What I would do is I would take this here. I would, if I were you, I would take this Excel that we're going to email out. I would change these categories to fit you and your family and your, your situation. I would mentally estimate what you think you're going to spend on a monthly basis, and then I would recommend tracking it for three months, Three months, every dollar you spend, try to fit into one of these categories. And what you'll find is your estimate is probably very different than your actual. You might think, oh, I spend $200 a month on groceries. And you might spend three, $400. Or, oh, I, only sp- I don't eat out very much. Maybe it's only 100 bucks. And you might get to the end of the month, wow, I spent $400 this month eating out. It adds up. And if you, if you track it for three months, you'll get a pretty good baseline. Now, the, the idea here is at the bottom, total income, total expense is that you live within your harvest. So we should be living on less than, or we should be spending less than we make, living on less than we make. We can't give to God freely if we're spending more than we make. Okay, so our, the desire here is that at the end of the month that you would, ha- you would spend less than you make. Okay? And in here, there's, there, there's spots for giving, number one, to the church, offerings above and, beyond, above and beyond the tithe, free will gifts, you can put those in there too. And you can also, um, if you'd like, you could set up a savings account for giving, I, for special giving. You might every month put in 100 bucks into this account, and then in a couple months when that need comes up for that family that, you're, that is your neighbor, they have a need, you can take some of that money and give. Okay? I would not recommend hoarding that money that you're planning to give but have it available so that when those needs come up, you can, you can be generous with that. Uh, any questions or comments on this kind of budget? It's all uh, Excel formula-driven, so when you put in your numbers, you'll see at the end of the month whether you're above or below. Yeah? There's, I mean, there's all kinds of different guidance on that. Um, I didn't include that because it varies so much whether you're single, renting a room, or you're married with four kids and have a house. Those percentages change. Living in Southern California is way different than living in Nebraska. Costs of living for homes and stuff are different. Uh, I would just, if you want, do a Google search, and you could probably find some pretty good material. I know crown.org. 
our Crown Financial Ministries, crown.org, they have certain templates and kind of, and they actually lay it out. Single, married, married with one kid, two kids, they kind of give you those guidelines. And they're, they're pretty helpful, but I think what, on top of that, just laying it out and see, tracking it for three months, see where you're at, and then going back and seeing. Because what, what you'll find is you might think you have all this money, but at the end of the month, you're like, well, where does it go? Well, the idea of the budget is you have a plan for that money before the month comes. Okay? Yeah, Kevin. Right. No. Right. I, w- I would say if you're pretty tech savvy, and you don't have to be very tech savvy to do this, mint.com is a great website. It's free. It's an Intuit company, or Intuit's the company that designed this. And what it is is it's a budgeting tool. It's all free, so you log in to say Wells Fargo is your, is your checking account. You put in your account information, and what it's going to do is it's going to draw all that data that comes in into Mint. And Mint actually allows you to set up budgets for different categories. $1,000 a month for rent, $200 car payment. You can put these things in, and as it comes in, you can categorize them into your budget, and then it'll kind of give you graphs and stuff. Okay? Another way that's pretty easy is, and I'm sure there's apps that kind of help you track. You can use apps to track uh, things, or use your debit card for three months straight, and then every week sit down and chart out what those expenses were, put them into these categories in Excel, and then at the end of three months, you'll have that information. I'd say the best way is with a debit card. That way it's, you have an electronic record, and it's with one debit card. Don't use 10 different cards, 10 credit cards. It's going to get a mess. Well, I get one, you know, points from this company. If I do this, I get points from that. I get the cash back, I get miles. It gets confusing, and you're going to lose sight of it. So uh, you can do cash if you'd like, if you kind of have the discipline to really track it. Yeah, I think that is another uh, great system. What what cash envelopes are is you 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 set up a budget like this, and then you get about if there's twenty categories, you get twenty envelopes. And if your budget for entertainment's twenty five dollars a month, your budget for coffee's fifty. At the beginning of the month, you put fifty bucks in that envelope for coffee, eating out, whatever it is. And then when you go out, you take that money, you spend it, and that's it. When that envelope runs dry you stop spending on eating out. You stop getting coffee, okay? That will keep you from spending more. And it kind of helps show you where, you know, where you're spending money, and it gives you that control of, okay, it's the 20th of the month, and I've run out of my eating out, so we've got to wait a week and a half before we can go out to eat. Okay, so it's eat at home or groceries. We take that envelope, we go buy groceries, and we know how much we have left. That's a, that's a, great, a great way. It's kind of finding... What works for you? What's going to help you be the most successful? Whether it's debit card, cash, envelopes, I say those are three great, great methods. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So in, in this sheet, I have uh, saving for future, and so that could be retirement. It could be for your kid's college. I would do different categories. I would do online savings accounts for those. 
But yeah, I would definitely, if that's something you want to start saving for for your kid's college, I'd start putting that away now if you can. But with the caveat that you sh- I would not recommend you not be generous in giving so that you can save for retirement or for your kid's college, okay? Those are the kinds of things that I would say, be careful that you're not hoarding for yourself and not giving, giving to the Lord, okay? And with retirement, yes, I think there's a lot of wisdom in, in saving now for that future. And we're going to, uh, I'll just touch on it briefly now. Uh, the world's view on retirement is work now, save, and then at the end, I'm going to go play golf every day. I'm going to, you know, tour the country in my RV. And that, the world's view is consume, consume, consume in retirement. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. In Scripture, I see, the only example I see is, is that we're called to work our entire life. And at some point, we might stop being paid by a company in order to give of our time, but we don't stop working. So retirement, I think, frees us up so where we don't have to work and get a paycheck or full-time, but it allows us to be more generous with our time, volunteering and at the church and whatnot. And so, yes, I do think that there is... uh, uh, wisdom in that. Most people would say if you put away, once you start working about 10% of your paycheck every month for retirement, that's a good guideline. I would be very careful that you're not saving more for retirement than you are giving to the Lord. I would, because at that point, I wonder are, you, are we f- more focused on building our kingdom here on earth? And this was something that my wife and I were challenged with. You know, I'm a math guy, so I know this. You know, when I first started working, I was loading up retirement because I was like, I understand compounding interest and it's going to grow like crazy. And in 40 years, I'm going to have all this money, blah, blah, blah. And then God got a hold of my heart and he challenged me with, where's, you know, where's your heart? Are you just building your kingdom here on earth? And so I significantly reduced the amount that I was saving for retirement and started giving money away because I thought, you know, God's, God doesn't want me to withhold from him until I retire. And then in, when I'm 60, I can start being generous with him. Because I wonder, will I even be generous then? If my whole life is patterned on consuming and saving for myself, at what point is my heart going to change so that I'm generous in the future? So I would, just, I would just be careful to not be so focused on saving all this money for retirement that you're foregoing entering into the joy of giving. Yeah. Any other questions on the budget? Okay, yes. Just go buy shoes with any excess you have. No, I'm kidding. Uh, because that's in a category that's variable, this month you might spend 150 on gas, but next month you might spend 250 depending on when you filled up during the month, whether you drove far, whether you stayed around town. Groceries, you know, if we go to Costco once a month, so... Depending on, you know, if, if for some reason we go twice a month, well, that's going to spike our, our monthly expense for groceries. But the next month we might not go. So I would not recommend you take that money and put it elsewhere. I would just say the next month it's probably going to help. It's probably going to do this and it's going to balance out over one, two, three months. So I would just leave it in there and then you'll probably spend it the next month. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good. No, that's a great question. Um, I don't believe God is. I, I I don't believe God is a category person. 
okay? I believe he is more concerned with our heart, okay? Now, with that said, we are not under the law that they were in the Old Testament. If we were under Old Testament law, I would say yes, very much categories, that's what the, the, the law would say. But we're not under the law, we're under grace, and I, but I still believe the tithe or 10% of your income goes to the Lord first. My personal conviction is that goes to the church, the local church that you're a part of. And there's any number of reasons why, why I believe that's the case, but I believe that it's God's desire that he would execute his mission of taking the gospel to the world through the local church. And so in order to do that, we need to be faithful in giving to our local church so we can have pastors on staff, so that we can have facilities, so that we can do any, you know, the things that are going to take to execute that. Now, the, tithe, the gifts and offerings above and beyond the tithe, I think that can go to you know, wherever your heart feels led, that's, in my opinion, gospel-focused, okay? So not social justice-focused, not caring for people's physical needs, but not their spiritual needs. I believe, first and foremost, their spiritual need, taking the gospel to them and also meet their physical need. Or giving more money to the church. Or giving money to that family who needs help. So there's any number of ways, but... Uh, my personal conviction is that tithe, that 10%, goes to the church. Because the reality is, is the church should be dispersing that money out as well, right? They're not just consuming it for themselves, but they should be also going to that family who has a need. They should be going to that overseas mission field with money to support. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and, and that's, that's what I meant when I say that. Thanks for clarifying, clarifying it. Uh, when we look back at the passage in Matthew of the sheep and the goats, Jesus says, you know, he's identifying himself with the poor, with those in prison, with those that are hungry. He's identifying himself with the least of these. So us showering blessing and, and finance and, and, and that sort of thing to those people, that is exactly how Jesus desired us to do that, okay? The, my only thing that I was saying was there are certain organizations that, they only go and provide fin or financial or physical need to people. There's other organizations like Children's Hunger Fund that do that and present the gospel. So if you're deciding on which one to give to, I would recommend giving to the one, the giving to that foreign missions organization that's going to present the gospel with that physical need. Yeah. Right. Right, Jesus said, you know, I was hungry and you didn't give me food. So that guy was hungry, you know, you treated him as the least of these, just like Jesus. So that, I believe, is exactly, if the Holy Spirit's calling you to do, that's exactly what he desires us to do. Yeah. Okay, I want to move into one other, one other quick topic. It's uh, on the, the next page, we've got G, evaluating potential purchase. I'll let you guys read through that on your own. But it's just some questions and some scripture that we've gone through a lot already that's going to help you make a decision on, on if you should buy something or not. Uh, saving and investing in H, that's, uh, you know, again, with the concept of, of how much to save, a good, you know, worldly guideline is about 10% for retirement. Okay, just be careful that you're not storing up treasures on earth and, and not storing up treasures in heaven. So that's, that's the one thing I would say there. Uh, yeah. Great, great question. Uh, you know, a lot of the things that we've talked about here include 
saving for those things that come up, those potent future purchases. Uh, maybe saving 50 bucks a month for home appliances because we know they're going to go out at some point. So I think it's good to have some money set aside so that when those purchases come up, we're not resorting to debt. Because so, so what I'm talking about is when they say, make sure if you lose your job, you have right. savings saved for all the expenses that you have on your list. Right. I would say that's good. However, I would balance that with not finding security in that pot of cash that can provide for all your needs, but also trusting in the Lord that if that happens, he's going to come through and, find, and provide a way to provide for our needs. The tendency that, that people like myself have is, you know, I come from a, a very worldly financial education, so that's, that's exactly what they teach. However, my struggle is I can sometimes trust in that pot of cash more than I'm trusting in God. So that's where I have to be very careful that I'm not saving this six months of, of cash so I don't have to worry about anything because I know I've got that. That's my safety net. Well, God should be my safety net. And so he should be who I'm relying on. So I would just balance that and make sure your heart's in the right place. And it might be that you need to reduce that because, hey, I need to trust in God more, so I need to have less saved. Not that I need to be unwise and spend all the money I make and then encounter this issue in the future and throw my hands in the air and say, I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. Still being wise, but not finding that security in that pot of cash. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I do want to cover topic J real quick. Honesty. I've got two passages here, which I'll let you read on your own. But the one thing is, I truly believe that God's desire is that we are honest in all things. The passage of Luke says that if we have not been faithful in little, we will not be faithful in much. Okay. And it's no surprise to me that leading up to, uh, in this last week, leading up to teaching on this passage on honesty, that God put some uh, events in my life where he tested, I believe he, uh, my honesty was tested this, these last few weeks. So I had several situations come up. A real basic one was I was getting my wife coffee bean at, uh, at coffee bean, coffee and a, uh, a muffin, and they only rang up the coffee. And so I noticed that, and you know, I, I, I don't miss things like this, so it was like 325. I knew they didn't ring up the muffin. And so I told the lady, I said, hey, you didn't get the muffin. She's like, oh, I pressed it too fast, it didn't register. So she re-rang it, and I paid for, paid for the, uh, the muffin separately, okay? But that's something that, as simple as that, I believe that God's desire for our life is that we would be honest and say, hey, you missed that, I need to, be, I need to pay for that. As little as that is, $2.00. If you've not been faithful in the little, you'll not be faithful in much. Okay? So just a simple uh, little example. Uh, another thing was I was returned some, some stuff to CVS. And these things that I bought, they're like these shoe inserts because I'm having like arch problems. And I tested them out and they didn't work, so I took them back. And I didn't have my receipt. And they were normally $18 a piece. They're on sale. I bought them on sale for like 12 bucks a piece. Okay? And when I went to return them, I said, hey, I don't have my receipt, but can you look it up with my rewards card? They said, no. So she said, we'll just give you store credit for the, the total amount. And it rang up 1818. I had two of them. And I told her, I said, you know, actually, I bought these on sale. They're only $12.99. And so she's like, kind of a little, a little caught off guard. So she had to have her manager come over. They had to override. But nonetheless, I got store credit for $12.99, which is what I paid. I could have kept my mouth shut and got some free money. But I believe... 
God desires that we, even in that small, small thing, he desires honesty. On a bigger scale, my wife and I bought a used car. We bought a minivan. I know, I know. You're jealous. Uh, We bought a minivan last week. And, you know, when you buy a car, you have to pay sales tax on the price of that car. And it's about, eh, I call it 7.5% right now. Okay, so 7.5% on the total cost of this minivan, it's a lot of money, right? And what you can do, and I'm not recommending you this, do this by me telling you, but people have been known to write down a lesser purchase price so that when they go to register the car, they pay sales tax on that lesser price. Okay, it's somewhat common practice people do this, okay? It's dishonest. It's dishonest to do that. As hard as it is to pay sales tax on that full price, that's the honest thing. And that's, was, I was faced with that, that decision, how much do I write down? And I wrote down the full price because God's desire is that we are honest in all things. I was faced with an, one more. We sold the car that we had last week and the guy asked me if I would put a lower price on the bill of sale. And I told him, I said, I'm not comfortable doing that. And I was faced with what could be him walking away from, from the, the deal. You know, we're talking 7.5% on this total price. That might have been, he might have said, you know what, I'm not going to do that. Or, why, you know, he might have kind of fought with me a little bit on that. And I said, look it, I'm not comfortable doing that. I'm going to write down the full price. And so I did. And it could have meant that I didn't sell the car to him. I, who knows? But again, I believe that I just look at the last week and four things came up in my life that tested my honesty before I taught on a passage that says we need to be honest in all things. If we look at the passage in Romans, it talks about paying, paying our taxes. Okay, I'm a tax accountant. I know that there's people out there that cheat on their taxes. I hear stories from people. They'll say, oh, my accountant tells me, Higher deductions. Oh, how much did you give to charity? 5000 No, you gave 10000 They'll never know. They won't question this. Okay? When we file our taxes, we are called to be honest in all things. In all things of life, God's desire is for us to be honest. If we're not honest in the little things, we won't be honest in the big things. And think about the time when this was written in Romans. Okay, we have the Roman government. How, how were the Romans to the Christians? Were they friendly? No. But what does it say? Whose face is on that coin? It's Caesar. Pay to Caesar, unto Caesar what is Caesar's. You might say, pay to Obama what is Obama's in today's culture. Now, our government is not nearly as harsh on the Christians as the Romans were. But even then, the call was to pay unto them what is theirs. Not through whatever means be dishonest because we feel that that's right, okay? So we, even when we, when we file our taxes, there, and by the way, there's a line that you say, under penalty of perjury, I affirm that the above is correct to the best of my knowledge. If it's, if it's false, how can you sign that, you know? How can you sign that? That's not honest. So I would challenge you, I know it's not, you know, March 15th right now, but next year when you file your taxes, be honest, 100% honesty when you file your taxes. Uh, Okay, so we've got about 15 more minutes, and what I want to use for this time is I want you guys to share with the group what God has been doing in your life, in your heart, over these last four weeks, 
And what I want you to focus on is what are you going to do differently going forward in light of taking this class? What are you going to do differently going forward in light of taking this class? I want to open it up to you guys. Right? Right. Yeah. The only thing I'll caveat with, so, so the comment there was setting aside money monthly so that when those needs give up, come up, you can give money to those needs as opposed to kind of borrowing from other funds. Or, or. The only, the, and that is great. I would just challenge you with one thing because I've, I've seen people who, ha, who move into that. They might go six months without, without giving. Set a limit. Maybe it's three months. Maybe it's six months. And at that time, if that money's in there, Give it somewhere. Don't hoard that money because the tendency will be at month seven, the transmission breaks. Well, we've got this money. But if it's really set aside for giving, make sure you give it because I believe that's something where we could be tempted to kind of take that money back. So just set some limit. And if, it's not, if you haven't given it at that time, send it out. Yeah, that's great. And I love that because it's not... It's, not, it's more intentional, right? It's as the need comes up, you feel like, okay, God, you've provided me with this pool of money to give to somebody or to some organization, and now when the need comes up, I can do it. I can bless that person. How cool, you know? Exactly. It doesn't... Right, and look at the, the passage of the widow's mite. You're two copper coins. It doesn't have to be a big amount. Buying lunch for that guy, who knows what that meant to him? And that could have been a couple tacos, you know? So you're right. It doesn't have to be a big amount, and, but it's, it's set that aside and, and, and do that. That's great. Yeah, other people. Yeah, yeah. So as those purchases come up and as those decisions come up you've got a new lens to look through as opposed to just well do I want this new car well of course I do or do I want can I afford it right can I if it's, I can afford it right the issue of giving being sacrificial is revolutionary to me. yeah so that's something that's been changed that's great yeah because so often we can afford it yeah. right some of sometimes if hey if I want something I can just go I can I can buy that but the question of Am I willing to sacrifice in order to give more? And that's why that challenge that we did a few weeks ago where you give up something for a period of time, whether it be, uh, you know, one couple shared that they gave up eating out for a week. Uh, Brian shared that, they, that he didn't have uh, sweets for two weeks and he ate beans and rice for a couple dinners. That's the kind of thing where we ought to or incorporate something like that into our, on our life on a regular basis. It shouldn't be the one time a year that we give up eating out for a night. We ought to really, there's a website called skipone.org. Check it out. It's a great concept. Skip one of something so that you can give that money to something else. So skip eating out at Wood Ranch that night in order that you can give some money away. Okay, so whatever it is, skip one of something. And try to incorporate something like that into your life, not as a means of earning God's favor, not as a means of, of works, but as a means of, God, I desire to give so much that I'm willing to sacrifice, just like the widow did when she sacrificed and she gave out of what she had to live on, whereas the others were giving loads of cash out of their abundance. And Jesus says she gave more 
because she gave out of what she had to live on. They gave out of her, uh, their abundance. Yeah, somebody else. I love Wood Ranch, by the way. Right. Very, very common point of view in the church is, I gave my 10%, I can do whatever I want with the other 90. Or I gave my Devo in the morning, like you said, now I can go do whatever I want. Or I went to church on Sunday, so Monday through Saturday is my time. It's a very, very common perspective in the church. But as we saw back at week one, Luke 9, 57 to 62, Jesus' call is that we would drop everything in order to follow him. You look at the, some of the disciples were fishermen. For them to leave being fishermen to follow Jesus meant they were literally abandoning everything. They're abandoning the trade that was probably their father's that they had learned. That was the only skill that they had was being fishermen. They were living the, leaving the community that they lived in. They were literally leaving everything behind in order to follow Jesus. And that's the same today. That same call is he desires that we would put all of that aside, put him number one in our life, and follow him. That's the same call. So that's great. Yeah, Greg. It's sort of related to this. Okay, God obviously wants to use it somewhere. Right. That's a great point. Uh, To summarize that, Randy Alcorn, he makes a comment in many of his books that he writes. He says, an increased standard of, of... uh, of, or an increase in income should be, at some point, an increased standard of giving instead of an increased standard of living. So when we get more money, we get that promotion, we get that bonus, at some point, that should mean an increased standard of giving, not increased standard of living. Yeah, that's great. Other people to share. Let's hear from one of the guys on staff. <laughs> or both of them. Make it easy. <laughs> right. Yeah, what, what you'll find is that this concept of stewarding God's resources is not, hey, let's learn it and then we're good. But it's a lifelong journey. It's a lifelong process. None of us are exempt from it. None of us will ever get to a point where we don't have to steward God's money anymore or his resources. So, it is a lifelong commitment and journey to do this. And so, and I love that even though you're not a details guy, you're going to get more into the details because I think men, women, husbands, wives, sometimes it does fall on one person's shoulders and not the other. But really, we ought to both be looking at this stuff together and keeping each other accountable to it and really uh, really getting into it. Now, she might do 90% of it, but you just might get into it and understand it more, right? Yeah. Or God wouldn't actually ask me to sacrifice this thing, you know, that's off the limits. You know, what, like, I would even ask you guys, what is that area of your life that is off limits, that you're not willing to even entertain the idea of giving it up, you know? But, yeah, I love that you said uh, it, this has revealed where your heart is. It, the Bible says in Matthew 6 that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So what we treasure, that item that we're refuse to give up that's off limits that's where our heart is yeah right 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 (laughs) yeah that's great well thanks for sharing guys uh just really quick i want to keep this dialogue going and you know feel free as time goes on come talk to me i'd love to sit down with you guys one-on-one 
talk about your, your individual situations. Two months from now, September 19th, Lindsay and I are going to host potluck dinner, and I want to keep this type of dialogue going. I want to hear more stories. And in the very back, there should be one page with a list of resources, okay? Those are resources that I think are very good if you want to continue to explore this topic. Lots of books, websites, that sort of thing.